Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On today's episode, I welcome in Robin Tobe, whose last name is spelled T-A-U-B. She is a chartered professional accountant by training, and she began her career at KPMG, transitioned into real estate, and then landed in the complex world of derivatives marketing at Citibank Canada. Today, Robin is a keynote speaker and the award-winning author of The Wisest Investment, teaching your kids to be responsible, independent, and money smart for life, a book that gives parents the information, strategies, and inspiration they need to teach their kids about money. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Robin, and without further ado, please welcome in Robin Tobe. Robin, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, I'm excited about excited. this. Yeah, I'm excited about this too. I uh, I have a young son who's almost 11, and the mm-hmm. the talk of money always is in my mind of how to explain it to him. And and I've tried. Maybe I'll give you some of the stuff I've done, and you might be like, Brian, that's horrible. Do it better, you know. But <laughs> um, I I maybe like yourself, I'm not sure, but I grew up with never knowing about money. My parents didn't talk about it. It was kind of taboo to have those conversations. And it was only until I be, you know, got into college that I really had to take that for myself and like figure out credit cards and figure out interest rate, all these things that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious, at least from from some of the research I did, it it appears that you recommend parents start around the age of five to as kind of introducing money. So maybe yes. if that's a jump off point for us today, wh- why sure. the age of five? And then at that age, what are some of the first things you're doing? Because I'm assuming it's different than like a 15 year old if you're introducing it then. Right. So first of all, what you described, the fact that it was a taboo topic at home and your parents weren't open about it or transparent is fairly common for most people. Uh, money is still one of those last taboos and there's there's different reasons. Um, some parents are just, uh, they're afraid they're going to get uncomfortable questions or they or they know they're not doing a good job with money themselves or mm. at, at the opposite end, there's a lot of wealth in the family and they don't know how to deal with that either. Mm. So if you don't talk about it though, you are, you're losing an opportunity to teach your kids about money and for them to start developing these skills and the knowledge and the confidence that comes with it at a young age. So yes, in, in my book, I do recommend starting at around the age of five. Now, where did that come from? Well, a lot of kids start preschool at that age and they're around other kids and they start seeing what other kids have and do. And they, you know, they may just start asking for things. Kids at that age are also curious and they're with you and with you, with you when you go grocery shopping or to the farmer's market or out for dinner and they start asking questions about money. So you want to take your cues from your child and they may be a little younger when they start asking. They may be a little bit older, but as soon as they start expressing that curiosity, that's a good sign that they're interested And yes, obviously the information that you share with a five-year-old is going to be really different than what you would share with your 11-year-old or a 15-year-old. And the way that I I encourage parents to think about it is these five pillars of money. So the five pillars are earn, 
save, spend, share, and invest. Now, these five pillars are fundamental. They never change. But as your kids get older, the specific topics and examples under each of those five do. So the, the, the key is to always be sharing age-appropriate information because you want to share things that are relevant to them, that they can relate to, that are from their world. And if it's if it's too too far below them or too young for them, they're going to tune out. And if it's you know too far above, same thing, they're not going to be interested. So you really want to make sure that it's age appropriate and and for that stage of their lives. And I also um, in the book I break down the learning into these four stages of childhood essentially. So you know what you teach a young child, five to eight a preteen, nine to 12, a teenager, 13 to 17, and an emerging adult, 18 and over. So it's, it's as you say, it's just going to be extremely different. And if you, if you end up starting a bit later, just jump in at that stage. Well, let, so let's take, we could take any of those, we'll it'd be random, but let's assume you're either about to be a parent or you're a new parent. So you have, mm -hmm. you don't have kids or you're about to have kids or you have kids in that you know, zero to five ish category. Right. So if we took the first category, like starting at age five, and maybe the few years after, what's like the first thing today, the parents should be doing to either prep for that or again, maybe their kids five, and they're going to do it today. Right. So the stage where you're newly married, or, um, you know, you're thinking about having kids, you don't have kids yet, there's still a lot of financial planning mm -hmm. around that stage of life. Uh, you know, getting married, maybe getting your first home, joining your finances together. So hopefully you're starting to get onto the same page and you're talking about money with your partner because the next phase, as you said, is when you do actually have kids and you want to start with, you know, teaching them about these five pillars. So there's no real order to it, but I, I usually start with earning because if you don't earn money, then you really don't have the other choices of saving, spending, donating, sure. or investing. Yeah. So, and even young kids earn money, so to speak, because they get gifts for holidays, for birthdays, the tooth fairy, tooth fairy comes to visit. So even at that young age, they're experiencing um, having some money. Uh, a seven-year-old might even get a small allowance. So once they have that, um, once they earn some money, then the idea is to explain that they have these choices and to guide them as to how to make those choices, whether they're going to save some, spend some, share some, and invest some for the long term. Like, so let's say they got $20 from the tooth fairy. I don't know if that's good or bad. These yeah. Days. If that's if with inflation, who knows? That might be. Um, <laughs> I think that's good, actually. <laughs> But let's say they got twenty dollars. Is is there like an even distribution of like, hey, put ten in saving, ten in you can spend, or like, how are you trying to break it down? Like, you know, putting in a piggy bank, yeah. or I'm just kind of th trying to think out loud of like how you would structure that specific, like a specific scenario like that. Or it could be they got right. you know, two hundred fifty dollars for Christmas from their grandfather or something. You know. Mm -hmm. So there are rules of thumb. I'm sure you've you know you've heard about paying yourself first, which is mm -hmm. setting aside money that you get taking some right off the top and stashing it into a separate savings or investing account. So you hear a lot of times 10% as a rule of thumb for that 20%. I mean, with a young child, 
they don't have a lot of needs and wants even like a in that young young child age category so really they could be saving a lot but then it's like well towards what it has to be something that's meaningful to them and compelling to get them to actually put that money aside and not spend it i mean really parents do have a lot of say and and guidance at that stage in terms of you know maybe the parent really wants them to save half of that mm. because they feel like even ten dollars into savings 10 could be split up into spending you know a little on a toy or giving some away like you know a couple of dollars and then putting some aside for for like long-term growth i mean i can show you this multi-slotted piggy bank that if you give your kids like if they mm. get their tooth fairy money or their allowance and in, in change then there's actually four slots mm. so it makes it really tangible for them to understand these money choices so you know they can put into their save spend donate or invest compartment but really i think it's it goes back to well, what are what are their goals now again with the young child this isn't super relevant but as they get older it's really important to have the the savings or the investing tied back to a goal and that goal that is um in turn tied to their values and the things that are really important to them that they want to achieve well and how is that maybe let's go down that path because i, I want to talk yeah. about values a little bit not just for the kids but also the parents because i'm assuming right. that's if the parents' values are off, that's going to impact the conversations with the kids. Right. Well, that's just it. Like, how do your kids develop values? Are they absorbing yours? Um, are they just developing their own based on their own life experiences? Probably a bit of both. Um, but a lot of parents really want their kids to share their values. And also, um, actions speak louder than words. So the way we behave around money tells our kids a lot more about our values and how we spend our time and money, you know, than anything that we say. And our kids are watching and they're listening and they're learning from us and how we behave around money. So values is a key, a key thing in, in terms of teaching kids. It's not always as obvious as some of the other ways, but I, it's one of the three strategies that I recommend for parents is to use your values. Think of them almost as an invisible framework mm -hmm. to help guide and prioritize financial decisions mm -hmm. and to set meaningful goals. Okay. So actually I have, I created a, an exercise called the values validator. Mm -hmm. If you've never done a values exercise, it's really interesting to do that and determine what your top five values are, whether it's education or adventure, security, health, and you can have your kids do it as well. Mm, okay. And well, and that's something too, I was going to kind of ask with, like, it, it, once you determine your values, and, and you start getting your kids involved, like how involved should you get them? Are you like, like, I was even thinking this, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm taking my son on a, on a trip here this week. And like, I was thinking when I got home, I was like, well, maybe I should like break down, hey, this is what the, this is what the trip cost. Here's where we spend. Here's why we made these decisions. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious, like, is, is that one of something you'd coach on or would you give any other direction or? Yeah, I love that. I mean, that actually is one of my other strategies, which is to look for these teachable moments, mm -hmm. an opportunity to build a money lesson into your day-to-day -day lives. Cause a lot of parents feel like I don't have the time or the knowledge to teach my kids about money and time being, you know, a big one. So I'm thinking they have to set aside special time, but these things will crop up in your day-to-day -day lives and planning a trip is a really good example. And again, 
you know, your, your child's age is going to be a determinant here because an older child, a teenager is going to be able to understand a budget a little bit better than a younger child and will understand the concept of making trade-offs mm -hmm. because often with the trip, you sort of have a rough idea of what, what you're comfortable spending or how much you've saved for it. And then you have to start breaking it all down on the line items, but you know, what are the, how are you getting there? What's the, are you flying or where are you staying? And what about food and entertainment? So I think it's actually a really great opportunity to get them involved and to help them understand that, you know, sometimes kids can be very demanding. They want to do everything. They want to have everything. They don't, don't have that bigger picture and that larger appreciation for the fact that money is a finite resource and you have to often make choices and prioritize. I'm, I'm literally thinking of this on the fly, but I'm I'm kind of going down this path yeah. that you just mentioned. I wonder, like, do you think it makes sense or is this a good idea to like give, let, let's say, again, you're going on a trip. I'm just making up a random number, but hey, here's $100. Mm -hmm. You can spend it however you want, but you have to make the choice. Because to your point, what I find with my son, I'm sure this is relevant across every parent is like, yeah, I want, I'll go into the store. I want this and that and the other thing. And they don't realize that these things cost money. You can't just buy everything, nor do you need everything. So right. I'm wondering if that is a good idea, yeah, I guess, I, is to give like you, a, almost like an allowance. Here you go. But once it's spent, it's spent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're hitting on a lot of important things. Okay. One is the needs versus wants okay. conversation. So your kids are exposed to a lot of media and advertising. We all are. That tries to convince us that our wants are actually needs. So having that conversation about what the difference is, needs being the must-haves for survival and wants being the nice-to-haves. And that's going to be different. I mean, the, the needs in most families are the same, food, shelter, basic clothes. The wants, you know, going to concerts, going out to eat, going on trips, like you just said, they're going to be a little different for every family. Um, but yes, kids need to understand that you know, you have to make a living and you have to be able to cover your needs first before there's any money left for wants. And then again, using your values to prioritize. But the other thing you said is, is very important, which is that kids will think way harder about spending their own money, even if you've given it to them as an allowance. And you've said, here's your hundred dollars, you're spending money for the trip, or maybe it's money they've earned. They will think so much harder about spending their own money than they will about spending yours. It just doesn't count in the same way. It doesn't, you don't feel that same pain of loss yeah. when you hand over the money, you know, when it's yours, like if, if it's not yours, if your parents just paying for it or you're, or you're charging or you're just tapping, it just doesn't feel like you've spent money, but if it's their own hard earned money, they will really will deliberate more and ask themselves, do I really need this or would it just be nice to have and you can even encourage that reflection by saying you know by asking them like do you really think you're going to use this how much use would you get out of it um if you had to work how many hours of work would it take you to be able to afford to buy that so there's ways to put it into perspective for them because kids yeah i mean they do tend to accumulate stuff and a lot of it often gets you know, left in a corner to gather dust right. once it gets home. Yeah. Well, I guess on the note of we talk about kind of earning, do you recommend 
that, well, let's talk about allowances for one, mm-hmm. but then on the flip side of it is work, like actually, if you can work, like I was a paper carrier when I was like 11, right. I don't know if they still allow that nowadays, like working that young of age, but you know, even if you were starting at like 15 or 16 or what have you, um, mm-hmm. is that a recommendation you make for, for parents is so that the kids start understanding about taxes and, and you can have those conversations yes. maybe a little more in depth. Yes. Um, my media marketing manager, Lauren, she was also a paper girl. Okay. Uh, I mean, we don't really get physical papers that much anymore. So right. unfortunately that sort of classic kid job is right. no longer <laughs> kind of gone away, which is unfortunate. I feel like babysitting is for many kids is their first introduction to like right. working when they're preteen, like is an odd job, but it's funny. Cause I was just doing a blog post about this, about kids working. Cause we're, you know, it's almost summer schools out kids are some kids are getting their first real jobs and as i said they're going to think a lot longer and harder about spending their own money even if it's being given to them as a gift or as an allowance but when they've worked for it i can tell you it's a, a whole different calculation and i know this from my own kids um who worked summer jobs when they were in high school and university I mean, you, you know, my son worked in kitchens and, you know, like sweaty, hot kitchens as a busboy, as a, a line cook. And it's so easy to spend money. There's a million temptations and it just goes so fast, especially with inflation right now. But it's so much harder to make it. And so, yes, I think putting in a hard day's work is the best lesson for kids. I mean, I think, you know, you know, it's it's again, it's more of a lesson for teenagers. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's many teachable moments such as your paycheck. You know, this is what you're making on a gross basis yeah. before taxes, before, you know, we have deductions in Canada for our national pension plan and employment insurance. So just explaining things, they're not going to know what that pay stub really is and what sh- what's on there unless you explain it to them. Yeah. And just getting them to think about the money they're making and how they're planning to spend it, like some kind of simple budget is a really great um, teachable moment as well as setting some goals, like we just talked about, setting aside some, maybe even setting up an automatic transfer to so that it goes directly into a savings account and they're not even tempted to spend that money because mm-hmm. they don't really see it. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, and yeah. even younger kids though, right? I mean, you, you could do like an allowance for oh, helping for sure. out, and but also do it where like, okay, well here, again, you getting $20, whatever it is, you know, five's going to this, three's going to that, you keep whatever, $12. And mm-hmm. you can kind of still make it where like getting them understanding, like this is how it works, you know, prior to them actually getting a real job, you know? Right. Well, that's just it. So with allowance, some, you know, the question is, do you just give it to your child so that they have that experience of making choices and managing money? Mm-hmm. Some people feel that's fine. Other parents really would like their kids to earn their allowance and do chores or whatever else they feel they need to do to earn it. Um, But I think the idea is to give them that opportunity to have some money coming in and then to make those choices and live with the consequences. Mm -hmm. Because I think you said it, like money is finite and when it's gone, it's gone. If you blow it on something stupid that you regret, you can't get that money back in most cases. So even that, and you know, every mistake like that is a really important lesson. And, and that's, again, another reason I stress starting early because your kids can make these mistakes when the stakes are low, right? The mistakes are not crucial. They're not going to kill you. Um, And then they'll have that experience and understanding for when they're old enough to get a credit card 
yeah. or, uh, you know, take on other forms of debt. And then, you know, they, they know how to make good investing, excuse me, good money management decisions. I want to do a circle around to the invest side of things mm-hmm. um, and kind of curiosity, really getting your expertise here um, around where parents should be parking those dollars. Like you could sit in a bank, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. or, or throw it under the mattress, right? Or whatever, whatever you want to do, but actually setting up investment accounts for the kids so that they could, you know, potentially when they're 18, they can have those dollars available. Are there any suggestions on where they should put that money to invest to actually grow besides just sitting there? Right. So, I mean, right. What I normally talk about with investing for younger kids is something, I mean, if you're doing it in order to teach them, you want it to be something they can understand. Mm -hmm. So you start off with something like a term deposit, or a certificate of deposit, which is locked in and therefore earns more interest than they would get if they just left it in their youth account. Mm-hmm. And right now with rates, you know, the way they are, you might get a little bit more um, than you used to on something like a term deposit, probably still very little in a youth account. But then once they become teenagers, um, you know, even teenagers are still, it's still a little early to talk about the stock market and bonds. Like it depends on your kid, right? You're, you may have a kid that's very interested in that. Um, they might be learning it in school. They may have an aptitude and, and just an interest in it, in which case it's not too early. But what I did with my kids was, um, and again, the, the rules in Canada might be a little different in terms of setting up these accounts, mm-hmm. but before you reach the age of majority here, if you want to set up an investment account, it has to be an in-trust account. So I had to set it up mm-hmm. in trust for each of my kids. Mm-hmm. And then when they did reach the age, of the, the age of majority, I was able to transfer those assets in kind to their own account in their own name. Okay. So in their case, what I did was I just started with a really simple portfolio of exchange traded funds. So it's a basket of, of stocks. You could do an exchange traded fund or some kind of index mutual fund. Um, I've chose really simple ones that mimic like a broad market index and you can allocate it however you want. But uh, at the time I allocated some to the Canadian um, equities index, the large one here in Canada, some to the S&P 500, like the U.S. equities index, some to an international index, and then a little bit to fixed income, to bonds, to an index that tracked bonds. Mm-hmm. And that way it was diversified and it was in a low cost uh, ETF or mutual fund. And the idea was that they could take advantage of compounding of growth over time because they were young when they got this money. And then by the time they were able to put in their own account, you know, a few years had gone by and it had grown. And then, then at that point they could do whatever they wanted with it. If they didn't like the allocations, they could adjust it. If there was something they really, a stock that they'd been following and really wanted to buy, they could, they could do that. Mm. But that's how I approached it at that time. Yeah, I appreciate that because that's yeah. I was I was kind of going towards I guess that um, side of it of like what parents can do. What what are the? I mean, it might be tax you know breaks. It could be uh, various investment strategies to put the park the kids' money in so when they do become uh, old enough they could use it. So I think that's helpful. Right. Then, those those accounts. Um, yeah, those tax advantage we have them in Canada. I know you have them as well, but 
as soon as they're old enough to open that, that's what I did. I transferred it into there. Mm -hmm. And so that at least it can grow and compound tax-free. That's the way it works here. Okay. So even when you withdraw it, it's, it's, uh, it's already, it's tax-free. So it just allows the money to grow more quickly than it would if it were in a non-registered account. What are, uh, you know, kind of thinking about as the kids grow and maybe how old are your kids? If you don't mind me asking. They're now older. They're now 28 and 26. Okay. All right. So they've been through the the rigor. You you put them through the, yeah. the test. They're on their own now. Well, so like, like let's yeah. use them as the example. Maybe let's say folks in their 20s, like what are some pitfalls you typically see with kids transitioning into, you know, college students or getting their first job? Like, are there mm-hmm. things like we should be teaching the kids, let's say in the teenage year, obviously if you start at five, they're going to have a lot of good knowledge, but let's say folks are starting in those teenage years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the one or two maybe major mistakes you see? Again, it could be credit cards, could be a lot of things, but I'm just kind of curious what you're, yeah. you've seen with, with you folks. said it. So I would say credit cards. There's a certain naivete around credit cards. If a teenager has a credit card before the age of majority, then it's probably just a supplementary card on their parents' account, in which case they're not seeing the bill, they're not paying it, they're not aware of the mechanics of how a credit card works unless you sit down and show them. So again, that is such a good teachable moment because it seems pretty obvious to us because we've been using them for a really long time, but kids, you know, they go on campus, they get bombarded with these ads for credit cards. And if they haven't been shown or taught, they don't really understand always that they're actually spending real money. And it seems like very grown up and sophisticated to have a credit card, but they don't really understand, as I say, like it really is buy now, pay later, and you have to pay the credit card bill eventually. So I recommend parents sit down, show them your own credit card statement, how, you know, you're spending each time you transact, it shows up there. It adds up to one big amount that's due a few weeks later on, you know, on the due date. And that real like ideally you, you pay the, the balance in full in full when it's due every month, that's a way to use a card responsibly. And if you don't, there's interest and penalties and if you only make the minimum payment, of course, the balance just keeps ballooning. Those are those are the main. And you know, also, sorry, one last thing is to point out the um, in Canada, they, it tells you the credit card company will tell you how many years and months it will take to pay off the balance if only the minimum payment is made. Okay. So that is really powerful. I don't know if American credit card companies mm-hmm. are forced to do that kind of disclosure, but it really like drives that home, like, cause it's quite shocking and just, it, it reinforces the fact that if you don't have the money to pay for something, putting it on a credit card or a buy now, pay later program, it can become a very costly way of getting something that you haven't saved for. So when they do get a credit card, just keep the, keep the credit limit low initially. Mm. They can't really get into trouble. You know, maybe just make a note of the first couple weeks, like to take, to make sure that they know that there's a, a due date, like to check, cause right. they just might not know. And to make sure that they pay that balance off and that they get into the habit, then, you know, every month it's due around the 25th, mine happens to be. So you just start to be in that habit or you set it up as an automatic, just depending on your yeah. situation, you set it up as, as an automatic bill payment. 
But I think that's a very big pitfall because as you know, if you rack up credit card debt, it's really hard to dig out of. Mm-hmm. It take a really long time. And if you do it responsibly, you are starting to build a credit history and a positive credit rating, which is going to serve you well as you get older. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, just because of the way the system works, you almost have to get a credit card purely, like, especially when you're that age, that's the only thing you're really going to get access to, to build that financial history, yes. right? So it is important, yeah, I right? Mean, I mean, your I'm trying cell phone bill. Oh, maybe. okay. That could, okay. Yeah. Other, other bills, like I'm thinking that bills that a kid has. Yes. Any other like bills that you pay regularly, I think your cell phone bill will also feed into your credit report. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's pretty much that those two things because there aren't that many other things you're going to borrow, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, or exactly. incur, like sign a contract for at that age. Right. So it is helpful to have that. But yeah, it, I uh, I have a lot of scar tissue from this. <laughs> I, I got, oh my God. Well, I got a lot of credit card debt when I was younger. And the funny story, well, it's not really funny, but I got a credit card and for whatever reason, this is uh, why the credit card companies I know don't look out for you, right? They sent me another no. credit card by accident, probably, right? I, so I had to call up. I said, hey, I got this other credit card. I, I already have one you gave me, and uh, I just need to cancel this. And they're like, well, I'll tell you what we can do. Why don't we just double your credit? So they raised my limit. They doubled it up. I'm like a college kid. Not, not good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, at least but lesson, the learned. Is- lesson learned. Pardon? <laughs> lesson learned. <laughs> yes. Yes. The hard way though. Unfortunately. Yeah, I know. And they are not your friend, these credit card companies. They encourage, they, you know, their job is to encourage you to use it and encourage you to keep on spending. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so little friction now around spending. Mm-hmm. Like you tap, you use your phone, uh, online shopping, it's built into social media, social commerce, like it's so easy to spend and so hard to save and so hard to resist all these temptations. So, you know, you want to try and get into these good money habits as young as you possibly can and learning to live within your means, to have a budget that you stick to. Because I think you can, yeah, you can also student loans are another big pitfall because Again, it doesn't always feel like it's real money. Mm-hmm. Like it's a real loan that's going to, you're going to have to start servicing and repaying when you graduate eventually. Yeah. So some students, they overspend and they take out more because they're, you know, lifestyle reasons. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, you're graduating with tens of thousands of student loan debt. Yeah. Or more. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the, the, the positive with student loan debt, I don't, I don't know if there is a positive besides like generally the interest rates are a lot lower. Those credit cards, as mm-hmm. you know, they can get, I mean, right. you get 15, 18%, 20%. 20% yeah. I mean, you, yeah. Get, you get jacked up pretty good there. And that, and to your point, yeah, well, like that, each month, it. yeah, you don't each. It, and that's the thing too. I, it took me a long time to learn, like, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Like, oh yeah, I'll swipe and get this or that. And then you look at your bill, you're like, wow, how did I spend a thousand dollars? You know, it's like. It just kind of adds up. So being it, looking oh, yeah. at that. It adds up. Yeah. And I think it's designed to feel like that. Like for sure, the frictionless tapping is just it's just so easy. And how do you build that friction back into the system? I mean, credit cards are convenient. There's no question. You don't want to be carrying around a lot of cash. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, there are, I guess, interventions. Like if you have, you can set up notifications on your mm -hmm. phone or your watch, if you wear a smartwatch to tell, to remind you to almost give you that zap mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> when you've spent money. So it puts that, that sense of loss back into the, it, it just takes away some of that um, feeling that it didn't really happen. Like it's a, it's a reminder, like you just spent money, but I think looking at your statement every day or every other day is also a really great reminder. So it doesn't just like creep up on you where you're just like, you get to the end of the month and you're like, how the hell did it add up to all this? Yeah. You mentioned budgeting. Is there any recommended, recommended like budget calculator or way to budget, maybe a simple way. And again, parents may do this first because I'm sure there's a lot of parents that don't budget, mm -hmm. but maybe how they're working with their kids as well. Is there a simple way to, to look at budgeting? One of the easiest things to do is to use the tools that are built into your mobile banking app. Mm. So often um, the mobile banking app will come with some kind of a tracking tool. Mm. So it will track your spending and categorize it. And you can use that actual information to, to set a budget within the app as well. And as you're getting closer to the budget, to, to reaching, you know, the maximum budget, it will let you know. And you can see as you're, you know, where you stand relative to the budget and if you've gone over. So I think that, I mean, the numbers don't lie, like how you actually how people think they're spending their money is often very different from how they're actually spending it, right? Yeah. You think you kind of know where your money's going, but unless you track it, mm -hmm. you don't really know for sure. But once you do, you have real data about how you're spending and you can use that information. As I said, like if you feel like you're spending too much in a certain area, then make, make set the budget lower than your actual spending to force you mm -hmm. to spend less. Um, you know, I think the easiest place is to look for like the low hanging fruit, like the little indulgences and the, you know, this, the, the sort of wasteful spending that, you know, that you could probably cut back or eliminate and then start, start with that and get some progress and some momentum. But I mean, I think, I think those tools are the best way. Like there's other, other things, there's tons of budget calculators online, mm -hmm. uh, lots and lots of free ones. I mean, for a kid, like a teenager, even I would keep it as simple as possible. Like they don't need to look at a spreadsheet with like a million line items that are right. completely irrelevant to them. Like you just want to think about, well, what's their day to day? Where, what are they responsible for in terms of spending? You know, what do they do mm -hmm. and use, use a really simple budget. I have an example of one in, in my book okay. um, that parents can fill out with their child. And then, and then again, it's really important to revisit it. Like, was the budget that you created realistic based on your actual spending, based on, you know, people's lives change. So you want to go back and make sure that it's still relevant and makes sense. Yeah. Are there any topics that are maybe have come up more recently for you that now you're starting to think about more when, as a, again, it could be related to, to parents and adults. It could be the kids. Uh, you can kind of dealer's choice here, but I'm just kind of curious if, since you've written the book, like, are there new things that you've thought about or maybe more top of mind now that is worth right. mentioning? So when the, this, this book, The Wisest Investment is an update to a book that I originally wrote 13 years ago. Okay. So what really changed is how digital it has all become. Mm. So 13 years ago, we were still using cash a lot more than we are today. And I think that it, a lot of the, the, 
I mean, it was happening anyways, but COVID really accelerated that transition. A lot of businesses went cash, cash free. Um, and now, I mean, there are so many places when I go out, like very rarely am I using cash. I was just away for a week and I, I hardly ever use cash. Like a couple of times we had to pay tolls and it was with like coins. Yeah. And I was like, wait, I don't have any coins in my wallet, let alone bills. I mean, some countries have even eliminated cash altogether. Canada hasn't, the United States hasn't eliminated, but we just use it so much less often. And as we said earlier, when you're like handing over money, cash to someone, it really feels there's more of a sense of loss, um, that friction that keeps your spending a little more in check. But now that everything's digital, it's just a little more challenging to teach our kids. So I think with young kids, you still want to really start with cash because five-year-old, six-year-old is easy, easy for them to understand bills and coins. And it's fun for them to, to play games or or um, make change, that kind of thing. And I think it's too conceptual for them to understand what tapping or using your credit card is. But as they get older, you can start to explain those tools as you're using them yourself as a teachable moment. So just the move to digital has definitely created great opportunities because as I said, there's all these great tools built into your phone, built into your mobile banking, but it's also created challenges because of how easy it is to spend and for it to get out of control. Yeah. So I think that that is one of the, you know, the more interesting changes. And then another one I would say is the rise of these financial influencers or okay. finfluencers. So people getting their advice on TikTok and other places like that. So I think, you know, you have, you have to just warn your children that not all of that advice is solid and not vetted necessarily and it may sound cool or great or whatever but they have to take it with a grain of salt yeah well and that's what i was going to ask it actually is maybe as a final thought for our conversation so obviously you mm -hmm. have the, the wisest investment you know your book are there any other recommendations whether it's websites or videos or any for again for i always say more information the better right uh, yeah, because that can, that can help. But I'm just kind of curious if there's anything, any other books you'd recommend as well, just to, to kind of help the parents mm -hmm. out. So first of all, I have um, a whole list of resources and recommended um, books, websites. I mean, some of them are Canadian, just to let you know that because I am in Toronto, um, but not all. There's a lot of um, other resources that are U.S. based or uh, government based. Um because yeah, I agree with you. You need to do a lot of this learning yourself, you know, and the more information you're exposed to, the better. Um, there's a, a, a book that I recommend. It's it's by an American author named Bobby Rebell, okay. and it's called Launching Financial Grownups. And she, she covers some of the teenage years, but it's, it's really more for the stage of, that your kids are going to enter after university. So the twenties, you were asking earlier, um, Brian, about the twenties. So mm -hmm. she gets a little more into those stages mm -hmm. and what, you know, what parents role is as your kids finish school and they, they're, you know, becoming more independent, they're working full time. Maybe they're looking at housing, all these other issues that, that arise as they grow up mm -hmm. and become young adults. So I really like that. I mean, the other book I, 
everyone loves it. It's a great book. Uh, the Psychology of Money yeah, yep. by Morgan Housel. I don't know if you've read that. But I have. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's just, it's so well-written. It's so interesting. Uh, I gave it to my son to read. He really enjoyed it. I've recommended it to friends. Like, it's just a, it's just an interesting look at our relationship with money. Mm -hmm. Not as much in terms of these like tactics, but the, the psychology behind it and the thinking behind it and why we behave the way we do. So I really like that book as well. Those are a few I would recommend. No, I appreciate that. And if there's a link on your website, I'll, I can link it up in the show notes and we can let, let yes. folks kind of jump through that whole list that you've already, uh, you've already aggregated for them. So, um, okay, perfect. Rob, this was a lot of fun. Where, uh, where can everyone say hello to you? Where do you, what watering hole on social do you hang out the most and where's the best place to say <laughs> right. hi? Um, mostly LinkedIn. That seems okay. to be my social of choice. So it's Robin Tobe, uh, Robin with an I, T-A-U-B. And we mentioned earlier uh, the values exercise that I created. You can find that for free at robintobe.com. And I also have another tool that I think is really cool. It's a self-assessment tool uh, for parents to determine what kind of financial role model they are for their kids. And that one can be found at thewisestinvestment.com, which is the website for the book. Okay. So that's free as well. So the two websites, LinkedIn is my main thing. Um, I'm also on Twitter. It's always the same, Robin Tobe. Okay. If you remember the spelling, Robin with an I-T-A-U-B. Perfect. Rob, this was a lot of fun. We kind of went into a lot of different pockets. So uh, yeah. I appreciate you jumping around with me. And uh, hopefully my a lot pleasure. of folks got some stuff out of this. Great. Thank you again for having me. Hey everyone, and just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.